If you'd like to watch the video of Sean and Io in this episode, go to patreon.com slash the flagrant ones. wish i had chapstick uh so i wish i had chapstick <laughs> say that say that king uh um but it's like whatever we'll get through it if i sound a little bit then uh you, know you just know like what happened so welcome to subtitles on the only podcast about movies i have started this um new thing you know which is we watch a movie and talk about it and i do it with my funny friends uh, which sort of like hit me like a bolt of lightning one day. That's, and I just said, "Yeah, the world needs it. Um, it's called subtitles on, of course, because we watch with the subtitles on because movies are written and therefore meant to be read. Yep. Um, yep. I suppose they're using cameras. I suppose people are performing in it, but that's not really my concern. Can I say something? Yes. Thank you. This is it, by the way. It's coming up now. It wasn't what I just... So the thing is, we live in a world, I think that is like so polarized. Dude, yeah, So yes, polarized. Yes, We're forgetting how to talk to each other. Do as, you know where that as starts? You, as you say that, oh, as yeah. you say yeah, that, what's up? I'm thinking about all these issues. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm going... We can't agree on this. There's stuff. so many, by the way. We don't There's agree on this. So stuff. Oh, I'm not many? thinking of just one. I'm not thinking of just one. Four, five, six, dare Another I say. Another one I just came up with. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're at seven now. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. But anyway, even though all that's true, and mm -hmm. I do agree with it. So, so where actually, does it start? You're not even a but. Sorry. Yes, and. You're um, going to tell me where it starts. Yeah, with the words. With the that's words. how we get to each other with the words. Language. Language, but of course, uh, I, I'm here. I'm here today uh, with Iowa Debris, and she is uh, probably primarily known to you as a performer. So you're going. Wait a minute! I thought this was podcasts and writers are doing it. Well, um, ding ding ding. Get you a guest who can do both. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. And uh, that's what we have here today. And I believe I first met you because you met my friend, the Hayes Man, uh, on a writing staff for it's a true. show. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Dickinson, right? Say it. And you just don't. <laughs> you, and, I, and I notice now and then it's like, oh, okay, she's acting on the bear. What's she posting about today? Oh, it's an episode of What We Do in the Shadows that she wrote. And so you're still writing. Yeah. Even as you're performing. Yeah. And so uh, you are a guest who can do both. Can I, How does that feel? First of all, thank you. Oh, it's nothing. It's stupid. I'm finding myself. I'm going. Am I shy? Am I emotional? Am I? Am I? Am I? Am I seen? Mm -hmm. But am good I to seen? check in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to find space and time to do that for myself. Sorry, not about that. Um, mm. what was the question? I, <laughs> How does it feel to just like? Thank you. To do both. Yeah. No. Um. No. I don't know. I. In earnest, really. Like, cool. Um. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I would have loved to do that. <laughs> it's never it's not about too late. No, not come on, it's never me. too late. Oprah didn't learn how to um, drive, I think it is, or something yeah. until she was like 40. It's one of those things. That's um, good. That's yeah. pretty good. So there's always Because I see her time. out there 
whipping it. Fucking cruising. Donuts in the street from O Girl. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking Jack's the e brake. I'm just like, yeah. Stebbins gripping the, the grip in the sides. <laughs> um, but it's not about Oprah. It's about the player. The movie is the player. This is a Robert Altman movie. Now, you wanted to do this movie, Gromit. Gromit. Gromit's um, wild then. I would have thought the movie might have been chappy the way you were talking about your damn lips at the opening. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, they're a little dry. <laughs> a little dry, yeah. Um, but chap, it's not chappy. It's the player. I uh, don't want. I wasn't. I was just like making it. Like not, it was just like a rib. It was no, like a so little. funny. I, yeah, it's so funny. I love it. Yeah, no, um, I just don't want you to. You feel like you're like mad. No, I'm not. I'm not sad. Uh, I or said Matt. Yes, <laughs> sad. So it feels like I don't, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know what you said. I just know what I am, which is actually doing good. You um, look amazing. Oh my god! Stop. Okay. Um, but I. Uh, the movie. I I think the movie is a really special one. And when I asked you to do the show, I said, you know, there's a couple movies on my list that I want to do. And you jumped at the player. Yeah. You said, ooh, ooh, me, me, me. I feel like it was coming from a place of we, we, we. But us. yeah, us. Mm -hmm. Community. Imagine. Imagine yeah. what we could do together. But yeah. Yeah. That's so one of do you have a significant relationship with this movie? Yeah. It's one of your favorites. It's one of my favorites. I I saw it for the first time in college when I'd um changed my major to from from teaching to uh writing and uh, teaching to learning. So thank you. Um uh, get yeah, from sort of being a teacher to being a student um mm -hmm. of yeah. life and of experience and wonderment. Uh but yeah, I I just remember that time I felt like I was learning also how to watch things and learning how to consume things yeah. and thinking about writing like i love movies i love tv but i think like a lot of people i just was like well there's writer and director mm -hmm. and uh, yeah somebody i guess has to make the script but it really comes alive thanks to everybody else. you know and, yeah. and so that was a movie where i was like oh shit like this is this is uh yeah like writing just rules and yeah it's a really yes it's a well obviously like so it's directed by robert altman yes the God. So, uh, yeah. Altman. Can I say something? Yeah. He's kind of a daddy. Altman, <laughs> Altman is zaddy for me. Yeah, and he's I, film zaddy. I, um, so I, I, you know, I always bring up, I'm not really like a film expert, like a lot of people that I know. What? Um, and no, what? he's someone who I feel like had I had known primarily as an inspiration to other filmmakers I love. Like yeah. I feel like Paul Thomas yeah, Anderson yeah, yeah. would talk about like mm -hmm. him being his favorite filmmaker. And I didn't have a huge familiarity uh, with him, but I had seen <laughs> this movie and I've since watched some and like, uh, I, do you have like an Altman take? Like, is there a, do you have a certain connection to him as a filmmaker? I know we're mostly talking about writers, but I yeah. just think like you can't because this was written by this guy, Michael Tolkien, mm -hmm. and he was adapting it from his novel yes. of the same name. So the writing is excellent. The tone of the book, I have to imagine, is mm -hmm. really similar. It's really funny. 
Um, it's very like acerbic and yeah. there's like incredible observations about the business. Yes. His mother, I guess, was a studio executive, Michael Tolkien. I didn't know that. So he obviously has a familiarity with this world mm. and a very kind of cynical, dark view yes. of these people. And then his father was a uh, television comedy writer. He wrote for your show of shows. Um, which inspired, of course, my favorite year, one of our other episodes. Be sure to listen to all the subtitles on. Um, but I feel like being close to both an executive mm, and, and like potentially a, a bitter writer, like a somebody who won, won every award, like won Emmys and like he wrote for all, uh, all in the family and like other prestige shows. Those are but, all the makings of one of the most bitter per, like people. Well, in, it's in like he world. doesn't, you you go, well, he wrote for your show of shows and then you go, well, then who did he work with? Like Carl Reiner yeah. and Mel Brooks, yeah. like, like the most influential, famous yes. comedy writers of his generation yes. were in the room with him. I didn't fucking know his name. Mm. So I know that this is a person who had a ton of success and was probably at home complaining about how they should have had more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I can relate to at least half of that statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, he must have been exposed to that and like the just the inner workings of what yeah. it means to work at a studio. And so it's like it's incredibly well observed. It obviously comes from like things he directly witnessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the writing's great. And the script probably could have made a good movie with a lot of people, but then yeah. Altman like brought his special sauce. Mm-hmm. I guess he also was at the time that he made it extremely disenchanted with yes. Hollywood and the studio system. And this was like a comeback film. Yes. He had been, I didn't really realize financially unsuccessful mm-hmm. with things like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, things that were critically acclaimed right. movies I've seen and enjoyed, but yeah. they didn't make any money. And he was kind of not like a hot ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, like the in the director's commentary, they kind of mm-hmm. talk about it a little. Where he's like, I mean, yeah, like nobody was checking for me, and I found mm-hmm. this like script that I really loved and like spoke to me in this. And then you know, I just had to start cooking. And like, I think also the process, like where he just talks about like creating shots and working with the actors. Like, I think he, he was having a lot of fun, and also like in the movie itself, he calls on a lot of relationships that yeah. he has with other actors and directors and creators. Yeah, it's loaded with cameos. Crazy cameos. And, and, and actor also crazy cameos, cuts. but also also writer. Yes. Like it, one of the opening scenes is that we'll we'll get to, but it's like Buck Henry who wrote The Graduate. It's like amazing. people playing against their own personas. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think before that was as commonplace too as yeah, it is. Yeah, as it is now. Yeah. Um so yeah, he he was cashing in some favors. Uh, and also for him to identify the script as mm. like being able to see what it could be, yeah. I think speaks to like a little bit of like a, a writer mind from him. Too. I can't tell also how much of this is like just how the culture uh, of like filming has changed um, mm-hmm. or how much of it is like just the collaboration between like Tolkien and, and Altman, but in the director commentary, they also just talk about like how much like they all have different perspectives on the same stories because like Tolkien was always on set with Allman and like always talking through the script with him. And I think it just sounds from what I watched and, and listened to like really 
collaborative and that Robert Altman was like, well, this is a movie that so much of this is about this business and about like writing. Yeah. Like I'm the writer's gonna like be here with me. Yeah, and so rare. I mean, all you always hear, especially uh in film, that like the writer right. does the script and then every other step after that is trying to remove them from mm-hmm. the process as much as possible. <laughs> so for Altman, somebody who's disenchanted to read it and go, this guy feels the same way about this business that mm-hmm. I do. I want him on set to hear his yeah. perspective is pretty cool. Um, so uh so we'll we'll get to the the opening of the movie, there's sort of this meta mission statement right from the top. Favorite openings of the movie <laughs> of like all time. Because you hear the director calling act, you hear that it's take 10. Yep. Um, uh, I guess they did 15 takes. They used the 10th one, but they actually left in that Altman is saying like action mm-hmm. on the shot. Um, and it tells you right from the beginning, like this is inside baseball. Uh, we're like kind of going to be playing with the form a little bit. Um, so he opens on a scene. It becomes this very long tracking shot that sets up the world of the movie. And within that long tracking shot, Fred Ward appears uh, and is explaining, today's pictures are all MTV. Cut, cut, cut. Wells did Touch of Evil. It was a six-minute tracking shot. Um, and so it goes, really? And he goes, maybe it's three or four. Because <laughs> he set up the whole picture with that tracking shot. And so it's like, they're telling you, this mm-hmm. is what we're doing yes. with our thing. This is what we think is missing from movies yes. now. There's a really funny touch that as he is explaining that, you see it within the same like seven-minute shot. He comes back around later talking to a different person and giving the same like his one smart observation about movies, which is like such a true thing of like, you've got to take, you will tell to anyone who will listen to you. Yes, yes. And both people have a second example of exactly what he's saying where they're like, oh yeah, well the Wells thing, but also this other movie. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what the I fuck mean, you're I talking guess, about. Whatever. <laughs> Which to me tells me instantly too, this man is in a position of power within mm-hmm, this studio. Mm-hmm. Because if he was not, if he was lower status, he would, he would go not, like, yeah, totally. Yeah, That's a know. great movie. He would yeah. pretend to know what they're talking about. Um, so I love that he's like willing to be lost mm. and like not pretend. You go, okay, this person's important. I'll say uh, the little thing I learned on Wikipedia, 15 takes were required to shoot the scene. Uh, 10th take was used. Yes, seven minutes and 47 seconds. Um, So good. Do you have anything from within this that you want to talk about? I think the Buck Henry thing is in there, right? Yeah, well, the two things are like, I think to what we were saying earlier, it strikes that perfect tone of like, it's cutting and like so incisive, but it's coming from a place of love. I feel like that Fred Ward moment is like, exactly that it's like this guy loves movies yes. he, he cares about the movies he's also like this entire industry is built on bullshit and on yeah. people who are idiots and like these two things are are true at once and the the jokes are simultaneously like so damning and so full of like knowledge and and reverence in a way that's really fun um, well you, you yeah. touch on something i think that's that's really uh important and something that's sort of been a recurring theme here, which is the movie is made at a time mm-hmm. when the people making movies are going, God, this this business is like spiritually bankrupt mm-hmm. and like artistically bottoming out mm-hmm. because the focus is not on 
uh, the right things. Yeah. But everyone involved does love movies yes. and love the business. Yes. And they are acknowledging, like, even if they're dummies, like yeah. the people who are in charge, um, as you hear, like, they cycle through multiple pitches that Tim Robbins is hearing. Well, it's the pitches that was going to be the next thing that I they're, was going to talk about. They're so funny, but we are on strike. And, I was wondering and, if we were going to get to it. Uh, and part of the reason that I feel like the creative people in this town have gone on strike, yep. many of them, is that the people in those studio executive positions no longer like or care about movies. <laughs> and yeah. that you would, it's just like over and over again, as I do this podcast, it's like they were disenchanted with what was happening, but we would kill to have the situation yeah, course, that they were in. Of course. Like the fact that this movie was even made and it was making fun of other movies mm -hmm. that also could not get made now mm -hmm. where it's like, God, if only it was just like, hey, we need to have like a more upbeat, happy ending. Like that's the big yeah. criticism that yeah. recurs throughout the movie is like they want to tack a happy ending onto everything. And that is like the least of our problems. Yeah. Um, my lawyer is like, this incredible woman who's been working since the 80s. And she was like, yeah, the people who we used to strike against, they they were sharks and they were dogs, but they were movie people. And the people who we're dealing with are not movie people. Financial people. They're financial people. They're in tech. They're in shipping. They're in, they're in like money. And they don't care yeah <laughs> and they don't care even though like you can look at examples of the things that have really like punctured popular culture or punctured people's like artistic consciousnesses and it's the things that are outside of these formulas like even yeah. like but yeah it's so motivated by like oh greed my God, is she gonna talk about her show um no <laughs> okay but it feels like you're talking no about i'm not show. no no <laughs> Do you think it's it's like punctured <laughs> popular culture and people's artistic consciousnesses? <laughs> I, yeah, I guess so. Hey, um, thanks. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it. Okay. I was thinking about movies. Yeah, uh, no, it's true. With Yes. Um, uh, but but yeah. in both venues, it's like, yeah, it's impossible to predict. And they're saying that at this time, too. You can't really predict what people will like. There's, yeah. there's criticism of like the, the test audience culture. Mm -hmm. But... It's um, it's just sort of funny and sad yes. to see like how uh, um, sort of depressed they are about the state of the film industry, but that within the discussions even that these studio executives who are supposed to be kind of morons and yeah. like not have an artistic bone in their body, they're still nowhere near the reality of what yeah. we see now where they're not talking about like shareholders and stock price and right. stuff like that. No, they're, they're still talking they're, about they're talking about movies, movies and what they think people will and, like. And also like and what movie they like. stars. And yes, yes. There's like, you can still like like there's moments where you can tell and I guess it's later or whatever, but it's like, oh, this guy, I'm not into his taste or I don't respect, you know, what who he thinks is a star or whatever. But it's like that's still what he cares about. Yeah, it's still like what they want to see. Yeah. And it's like there's like a yeah, like I mean it skips ahead, but the guy um in the office. The yeah, when they're pitching like the movie that's depressing. Yes, 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 yes. And he's kinda like, Well, does this happen? Does this happen? And he's like, Well then they gotta fuck, right? Because like we gotta at we least gotta see some nudity. Yes, and it's like yes. this 
it's like a sort of like, oh, this guy's like a fucking gross idiot. But it's also like he does like seeing that in movies. Yeah. And he wants to go to the movies. It's and there's like, like an audience for that. Like he yeah. still cares about that. Yeah. The um, pitching and like the language around pitching, I think, is like, which is the other thing, like including Buck Henry. They're also like the two women who were both also writers. I can't remember. Yes, yes, yes. Um uh, I don't remember who they were either, but, but they also like, it's just so funny that the language, it feels like it hasn't changed, even though, you know, it's yeah. parody and it's like arch. It still is. There's these similarities. Yeah. So like, I want to talk about the, so Buck Henry is at their pitching and he's like, his pitch is for the graduate two. It's amazing. And you see these through the window. Um, and so one of his first things he says is he's like the three principals are still with us like we still have these actors so like so the characters are with us too and he pitches that mrs robinson has had a stroke and tim tim robbins goes this is gonna be funny and he goes oh yeah funny dark and he goes funny with the stroke and he goes maybe it's not a stroke but it's a malady of some sort <laughs> and it's like one of the best versions I've ever seen of because we've seen a few of these uh, of like a writer pivoting in the moment yes. to like sort of please whoever they're pitching to. Yes. But it's like he's not, you know, he's not backing off. Like it's not like a super on the nose cowardly. Like it's not that. No, it's, no, he's no. like, he's like, she's got a mouth. Don't get caught up on the stroke thing. Goldie Hawn <laughs> goes to Africa. She's found by this tribe of small people. She's found <laughs> and they worship her. It's like the gods must be crazy except the Coke bottle is an actress. Right, right. It's out of Africa meets pretty woman. It's like <laughs> just words. His just words. And trying to connect with this person where you're like, you could like make the difference between me like having a house yeah like or not yeah. so i will i will say what needs to be said no whatever you say however you have interpreted it now is it's how i see it yeah yes and it's like i have integrity but also like fully stripped raw bear in front of you like humiliation it's out of africa meets pretty woman it's, yeah it's this meets this and in that pitch too there's an interesting there where they go like so it's a tv star who goes to africa and he's like wait a minute a tv star is an emotion picture <laughs> and they go like no no no, no. It's, it's a, a movie, movie star, star playing, playing a tv, TV star. star and he's like great <laughs> Great. Keep going. Perfect. And it's like, that is something that obviously has changed. It's very emblematic of that yeah. time. This is like pre-George Clooney. Of course. But um, even now, it's like, I feel like the opposite thing where it's like, well, how do we get this movie star now on TV? So mm -hmm. this big movie star going to be TV? Yeah. Chris Pratt's doing The Terminal List. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, that's yeah. happening. Yes. Um, but I did want to say one of my first things that I so this is like maybe something I shouldn't even mention because the person could hear it one day. But, but. as they're pitching the graduate too, it made me think of a tweet that I saw once. Wow! From from a from a comedic writer and actor who was watching the graduate and posted, "Dear Hollywood, please remake the graduate with me in it." I promise I would crush it. I feel like I know exactly who this is. So the thing <laughs> the thing I want to say is, of course, my immediate reaction to this is like this eye roll, but also to not bury the person, it's so understandable to me. And I have this to this day when I watch anything I really like where I'm like, God, I want to be involved in this. Like, how can I be closer to it? How, like... I'm enjoying it, yes. but I'm also being like, oh, why no am I not way. connected to it? I want to tell someone I'm part of it. So it's like, 
It's insane to watch that movie go, you know what's missing? Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know what I'd replace? Dustin Hoffman's <laughs> performance. <laughs> like, that's crazy. With me crushing it. But I also think that, like, anyone who makes stuff, like, it is coming from wishing you were a part of these things, like of this course. art that inspires you and going, like, how do I do my version of it? It's probably not me no, stepping in for yeah. the lead, but like, how do I make something that feels like this to me? Well, it's like, and the, like, like the like yeah. trauma of IP. I feel like so much of writing is also like knowing, like I will never have like a truly original idea unless mm -hmm. I'm some sort of like genuine genius. And when are the fucking odds of that? Mm -hmm. Like, I will probably never have a truly original idea. I'm, all, I'm no, always going to be referencing like it's all like, yeah. something, invoking something, whatever. But like the like the thing about like IP or just like pitching is it is it is that feeling, but so blatant. Like yeah. it's all, completely everything is on the surface there, yes. um, and, and it's like humiliating. <laughs> so the the next thing that I want to ask you about is. When you pitch, because this comes up like mm. they have a really funny thing through this where every time there's like an actress, it's like and and Julia Roberts is like, well, yeah, Julia Roberts, if we can get Julia Roberts. It's like, of course we can get Julia Roberts. And like anytime there's a guy, it's Bruce Willis. And yes. it's who are the biggest stars at this time? Mm. And because they're making movies and they're at a big studio, they're pitching these people. But when I have had to go and pitch TV shows mm. or when I'm even just like writing something and telling somebody I have an idea. The first question generally that gets Ooh. asked is like, well, who is it? Mm. Like, what's the type? And this is how still to this day, or maybe mm -hmm. even more so, the executives need an archetype yes. or an example in order to picture like the character that you're talking about. Do you do that? Do you like that? Mm. Like when you're writing, do you think about a certain person? Like, do you have an actor in mind when you write? Um, I think it changes. Sometimes it can be, I think a lot of times, well, I, if I really like an actor, I feel like I'll just like do my best to just like remember them. Mm -hmm. If that's like actually me writing down like, oh, I loved so-and-so so in this performance or, yeah. oh, I haven't seen this person in a while, like, let me remember, I remember them. And then maybe as I'm writing something, like, they'll come up. Uh -huh. um, but I think a lot of times, because I'm not, like, the most um, consistent writer, if it's not for, like, a job, like, if it's me for myself, like, it can mm -hmm. be hard for me to generate ideas. So, like, when an idea comes and I just, like, have to follow the character as far yeah. as it goes, maybe somewhere along that, it's not always consistent, like, an idea of somebody will come up. And then, like, then you do, like, a bunch of, or for me, I do, like, a bunch of backups where I'm like, oh, okay, like, this is the person that it's circling, knowing that if this thing was ever to get made, like. Have you gone through the process of, like, bringing a pitch out to, like, mm. and so, like, did you bring, like, pictures of actors to the pitch, like, for your, because I was made to do this, like, when I went out with my mm. thing um, for, Sony with Steph Curry's company attached. Say that. They they were like made a like PowerPoint basically yeah. for me. And it was every time I was describing a character, they, they, would, the they would put a picture. So I like, I think because I fear the mind of an executive. Uh-huh. Like, and I it feels like so, where it's like, look, 
uh, I don't know, uh, Michael Keaton. See mm -hmm. Michael Keaton? It Michael Keaton now. Yeah. If there's an exec in that room who has like something against Michael Keaton, like for whatever reason, like my fear is that they'll be like, mm, it was really good except for the Keaton bit. Like, right. So I, I, uh, like one pitch that I did, well, basically I've taken like three things out and one was animated. Uh -huh. And then the other, um, I just used kind of like atmospheric photos. And then I was like this general type of person, but not, you're not getting any images. Like whatever yeah. is the image in your mind, like I want you to stick with that, but I'll uh -huh. give you images of like the idea of what the person is, but I won't like specifically attach. And and then like in if they follow up after and ask, then I can like come up with an answer. But and yeah. then kind of do the like, yes, exactly. It's like it's like Ghost Meets Manchurian Candidate. Exactly. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, yeah. So you do, I think, as a tip, you do you should have an answer. Yes. Because they're going they're to going ask. They're going to ask. You. They're going and to ask. And for me, when I'm writing, usually it's like I have an idea. Yeah. And I have an idea and I have a character that I'm picturing and mm -hmm. I just kind of write it to serve the idea yeah. and the and the story. And then I've had it happen where then somebody reads and they just immediately like, and who do you picture for this? And I can feel that I lose them because mm. I'm going like, oh, it could be this or it could be that. I took out a pitch that um, I was like, had written, it was sort of action-y. And so, yeah. you know, it would be, it's like, well, it could be I don't know, like Chris Pratt from the Terminal List or whatever. But but I was like, it could be kind of funny if it was like Michael Sarah or something, right? And then the, like, you're dead. Yeah. Because they're like, you don't know what your thing is. Yeah. But I'm like, you hear stories all the time of like, Beverly Hills Cop was written for Sylvester Stallone. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, but then they got another actor yeah. and they mold it to them. Yeah. And I'm like, I wish that was more possible. Yeah. But people but don't want like you to plan like, for that. Well, it's because it's like, you have to plan for Chris Pratt and then something has to fall apart. And then you like get. Well, also like, who do you say? Because like, you go out to pitch your TV show that you wrote and you're like, you know who'd be great for this? Yeah. Brad Pitt. And they're like, get the fuck out of mm, here. Mm. So it's like, you can't say someone who's so famous yes. that they won't do the TV show. Right. But you also can't be like, my buddy Mike would crush this. It's yeah, so funny. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it has to be someone Even who's famous enough true. that they know, yes. but not so famous they feel like they can't get. Yes. So I find it to be a yes. very challenging part of the job. Well, it's also like job. on the scale of like, there's like another like line or whatever, like that's like on this axis of like, what's like a, like a smart choice or like a fun choice versus like yeah. an obvious one too. So it's like you have to find somebody that's like. But then they've got to know the person. Like if it's somebody to, who's cool, right. who's like, in a, you're like, oh well, they it's were like really it has good to be in this movie. Perfectly yeah. on this thing. It's like I was talking with some friends who they're they're pitching a movie and they want like an African actress and like every meeting the person like the execs are like and like Lupita Nyong'o and there's like we do, like there are other. African actresses, uh -huh. like they do exist. And the executives are like, no, of course. Like, um, have you seen 12 Years a Slave, Lupita Nyong'o? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like- <laughs> Has anyone said Lupita Nyong'o? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I love that. I love her. Um, with like all love and respect, but it's just like, I feel like, yeah, sometimes you can feel yourself getting caught. And I've definitely been, been in pitches to, I mean, like this, happens to me a lot as like a black woman where I, f I feel like 
you know, I'll be pitching something and they're like, and this will be an amazing thing you can say about like, like race and being a black woman. And I'm like, I'm saying it by you giving me money. <laughs> that's the political statement. <laughs> you yeah, let me make my thing. <laughs> gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I don't like, I just want to. Yeah. Yeah. You just you just want to make what you want to make yeah. and not have to be responsible for carrying a message necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I will carry a message. It'll be really toxic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My messages are. <laughs> They're just like kind of sus. They're not yeah, like. <laughs> you're like, are you sure you want to say that? <laughs> um. So anyway, the uh. So um. Having to put in actors to, having to cast for someone else's thing is fun mm. of like this should be this person and everyone that. wants to do it of course but when it's your own thing you're like eh, i don't know yeah yeah um so anyway the, suddenly uh, incredibly precious <laughs> they move uh they move on to some more pitches i don't know who, i i should have looked up who all the writers are there's another writer that's pitching something where he's like he goes does political scare you <laughs> <laughs> he's like i got an idea does political scare you and he goes political doesn't scare me Political, political scares me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that is uh, that is amazing. And then as the guy starts walking through this like sort of slightly radical political journey, Tim Robbins again goes, is it funny? And I just, I don't think executives do ask that question anymore. No. They don't care if it's funny. But if you tell someone something is a comedy and then you have the slightest like, conflict or hardship in your pitch they go like but you said this was a comedy it's really really i thought you said this was a comedy and it's like yeah i, I guess i guess i thought that like I, I could write the jokes into the dialogue thought, yeah stuff. i didn't think That's the like log the line had to be so insane while you're like pitching and well i've like done you know practice pitches and there'll be just like a single moment where somebody's like but like what's the dialogue like and i'm like that's what you pay me to do i don't have it yet obviously can give me an idea but like god the hand holding sometimes yeah yeah i also remember like before because um you know like this summer is like Barbie and um, Joyride and Madam um, Man and mm. um, like just there were uh, uh, no hard feelings like some big mm -hmm. comedy movies and I felt like there kept being this discourse Teen where it's Ninja like Teen Ninja Turtles, which I mean, <laughs> uh, but like this discourse where it's like comedy's back, like the studios are gonna let us make comedies now. Yeah. And it's like, well, one Ron strike, so we don't know. But I would, yeah. I would be like, I would be shocked if the if the mid size like budget like big comedy came back. I would love that for me and my friends. It would be amazing. There's always rumors of it happening. There's always um, little rumblings at the mid-size. But you know, it is, I guess it is cyclical. And obviously this was made at a time where it was so much of the emphasis is on they want the movies to make people feel good. Yes. And so he keeps going. Is it funny? Which they is keep saying, also like, can like, the ending be happy? If it's funny and if there's like an explosion, we know we can get people's butts in seats. Yeah. And so, yeah, how can we make it sexy and happy? And now I don't really, I, I don't know what. What the mood is. I don't know. I, it's we're we're in flux because I yeah. think there was a. There was a big, I mean, there was like big superhero there was a superhero wave with film yeah. and then also there was like um, trying to bottle an outsider indie aesthetic mm. for like prestige TV yeah. where it was like 
there was actual prestige TV yeah. which emerged, which was like when like The Sopranos and Mad Men and all those like right. things like that were of an insanely high quality broke through. And then all the trappings of that quality got identified. Yes. And it was like, okay, we can make our show feel like an A24 product yes. or something uh, without the actual content. Well, also like, <laughs> um, and, I, I don't know and if then this that is, is oh, the time away. you're thinking of too. But also I feel like there was just a moment where it's like, so everybody's just doing Louie? Well, there was, there was everybody doing Louie and then there was also like, whatever transparent where it was yes. and this is yes. like a very played out thing where it was like comedies aren't funny anymore yeah. comedies or they're not joke driven right they're like serious situations mm -hmm. and there's sort of like a bent perspective yeah. that that classifies it as a comedy or it just is a half hour long yeah and i think that took over in all the streamers <laughs> and everything and then they uh i believe made too many shows and it'll get pared down or yeah, it'll get shrunk and I think yeah. there will be less of that because I'm, 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 I don't think it translates. I think they're going to move more towards a little bit of the larger crowd pleasing. Well, also they've just like reinvented cable again. They've reinvented cable and like, I, but you just pay everybody separately. I, I can speak from my own experience on the last show that I worked on, which is it felt a lot like the first couple of years of me writing for network comedies, mm. even though I was writing for a show on Netflix. They were hoping to get more in the vein of like a Parks and Rec feeling yeah. than a transparent feeling yeah. on the streamers and the prestige yeah. uh, kind of cable networks. I believe that is a little bit of where they're tilting because the audience is so fractured mm -hmm. and they want to find something that can retain year over year a larger group. yeah um so anyway they uh they start to hear rumblings that they're going to replace tim robbins griffin mill mm -hmm. our um our our hero executive he drives and a big big jeep that's so cleansy. he drives a huge range rover yeah. yeah um and they set the stakes uh for him of like he's going to be replaced there's this whole list of executives who could replace him, and the executive names in the movie are perfect. It's like Larry Levy. Like you, you're like yes. great, yes. love it. Um, and it captures for me, and this plays out through a lot of um, his actions and like the kind of center of the film, the fear that executives operate from. Yeah. And I think this is a way that I, as a creative, see them, and obviously Altman did too, where I, I am as much as I complain sometimes about like notes from executives or them not understanding my job, I am very sympathetic to a lot of them operate from a place of fear. Yeah. It's constant turnover. Yeah. It's constant moving from this company to that company. Now you're at this person's like vanity shingle. Okay. Now you're back in the game with like a big network job. Mm -hmm. But I, I think there's a lot of, um, anxiety that comes with the role and your job and they uh do kind of make this clear in this movie as much as the people like movies and like what they want to see their job is not to make great movies their job is to like make, make their boss money. happy yeah um and so uh there's um there's a good like scene where he walks into his boss's office and mm -hmm. you can just feel that something is off and yeah. he wasn't invited to the meeting. Original Nepo baby sighting also. A Nepo baby is in there and he is 
just saying famous women he wants to date. And looking at headshots also. Yeah. It's so slimy. It's amazing. It's really slimy. And um, I won't give any specifics, but I did hear a secondhand story from a manager just like a year ago of like basically a kind of dorky comedy writer client calling them up and saying, I want to start dating this one of the most famous women in the world. Amazing. And it, they were just like, I want this. And the manager was like, okay, why would th like that happen? And they were like, well, she's single. I just saw. And it's like, okay. It's like, what but do you think my job is? <laughs> yes. also? And it's like, again, this is, this movie is from 1992, but it's alive and well. <laughs> it's alive and well. It's alive and well. As a woman in comedy, Who's, who I, I, I suffer every day by just <laughs> seeing the men around me. Yeah. And I go, what the hell is going on? Yeah. How yeah. are you allowed to think like this? Hi, I saw Taylor Swift just broke up. <laughs> okay. okay. I think I would class up her image. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> good to know. Thank um, you. All right. Good, uh, uh, good call. I will... Um, Send an email. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, they they've captured that. There's the Nepo baby. There's talk of like they're going to bring in a new executive. Um, then we go out to lunch with Tim Robbins and we kind of see like the Hollywood lunch zone. And there's a little um, bit of chuffa at the top where it's John Cusack and Angelica, Angelica Houston. Houston. Little nod to the grifters, huh? Big nod to the grifters. Mm -hmm. Love that. Eagle-eyed um, viewers might recognize. This will be one of my most pure, just like off-topic tangents that I'll do. But so The Grifters, uh, which was a Jim Thompson book, and he's like one of these like pulp writers. I love, this is the kind of stuff I read. Mm. And John Cusack, I guess, read that and was like, I want to be in this. And then they were like, well, Martin Scorsese's making it. And then he just went and did it. And it was just like, they read a cool book and then they made it. Yeah. So that kind of like, makes sense. My dream relationship is the relationship between Martin Scorsese and a book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of makes sense to me because those are pretty famous people, mm -hmm. Angelica Houston and Stephen Frears, who had just done Dangerous Liaisons. So I get how that happened. But Fred Ward, who plays the head of security, have you ever seen the movie Miami Blues? No, but it was on my watch list. You got to watch Miami Blues. And then Blues. it left Criterion. Or actually... Don't. Don't. Read Miami Blues. So Fred Ward read a book. Okay. This book by this guy, Charles Williford. Charles Williford um, was uh, a big inspiration to like Tarantino. Mm -hmm. And he was like this kind of pulp writer who then uh, did a book called Cockfighter. That's like a cult 70s movie that stars Warren Oates. Um, he did. Uh, he wrote this really short book called The Burnt Orange heresy that mm. um, also was made into a movie like two years ago that nobody saw. But he had a detective series and he had written this book with a detective named Hoke Mosley and mm. this like psychopath who, oh God, his name is Freddie something. But anyway, the book is amazing and it's a really weird like offbeat uh, detective book. Like mm. it's very different from a lot of those books and it's, you know, just takes all these strange detours and it's so much about like, how he lives technically out of the district where he's policing and he has to get a, a home somewhere closer to Miami Great. Beach. That's like a huge part of the story. Um, and then 
Fred Ward reads this. Now, he is not someone who I think of at all. Just like his like I, He's just like a guy. <laughs> this is a character actor. You would recognize him. But he buys the rights to the book and gets it made with yes. like Alec Baldwin playing the psychopath. And you're like, how the fuck? Like you just, this is what I talk about when I like long for the time when yes. like a sort of C-list character actor yes. could just be like, I like this book. It'll be a movie. And then like the money's all there and they just get to make the movie. And it's like a cool, totally off kilter crime movie on Williford, who is a, a great, uh, interesting writer and a total weirdo. He was kind of mad that he had a hit and his publisher was like, you have to make this a series now. Like you have to do a sequel. So the first pass, I guess, of the sequel that he did, he just had the detective like murder his whole family and then like turned it in and was like, great. Now they won't ask me to do this again. They were like, no, you can't do this. Try again. So then in either the second or third, I just love this so much. I have to talk about it. I have so much respect <laughs> for this guy as a writer. The first thing that happens is he goes catatonic on the couch. Like his family can't figure out what's going on with him. He like pisses himself and they're like, oh my God, like what's going on? So they ship him back to his dad's place. And then his dad just like nurses him back to health and he starts managing a condo. Good. Now there is a whole crime story happening throughout. The, he has nothing to do with it. He's managing a condo. There's like an entire chapter just dedicated to him figuring out his meal planning that he's going to do on a limited budget. I would like to, I would, I would like to read this immediately. It's, like, it's just this old. I would like to read this immediately. Divorced guy being like, all right, well, if I buy a pound of ground beef every Monday, amazing. I think I can mix that with some frozen carrots. Amazing. And I can eat that for three nights. But this is like, also, I read <laughs> Moby Dick for the first time, like, last year, where I'm just like, chapters, whole chapter about a whale. Yeah. Whole chapter just about, like, whales. Where you're like, I mean, I get it, but also, like, my guy, <laughs> my guy, are you for real? This, this, like, as I describe it, I like I realize it sounds boring. For some reason, the way he writes, I'm so no, engaged. No, it sounds like, I'm just incredible, in it. and it also sounds like very funny. Yeah, it's he's he's got a weird sense of humor. It's a really uh, weird. There are four of those books. I just finished the fourth one earlier this year, and I wish that there were more. Um, let me let me one. So <laughs> yes, I yeah I will. Um, so anyway, uh, I just I wish that could still happen. Um, I don't know. We can we can get like Steve Zahn and like the Parable of the Sower or something. We'll give him something. <laughs> yeah, we we'll, got. We'll give him something. We gotta do that. Um, he so, needs it. So uh, he <laughs> they. He's actually doing great. <laughs> <laughs> they um, they have lunch. Uh, there's a little bit of like, I don't know, sparring where they kind of mention like mm -hmm. that a new executive will come in. We just feel like this guy's. Um, uh, you know, kind of mounting panic. And then uh, Cusack and Angelica Houston walk by on the way out. He has spotted his rival executive who he's jealous of over his shoulder, who's eating lunch with those people. He yes. kind of like takes a shot at the guy. And as they walk out, he introduces himself. And there's just a great withering delivery by Cusack where it's like, was he say like, you're going to be at Telluride this year? And Cusack's like, I'll probably be at Park City. And he goes like, well, I'll see you there. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> There's also, I think, I don't think I'm making it up that um, that Rob, not a, I was gonna say Robert Altman, that um, that Tim Robbins is like Griffin Mills, and I think it's Angelica Houston who's like we've actually met before, like so <laughs> that so quietly. 
That is so, that is great. But just like the back to back of that where you're like, this is devastating. Like Griffin's <laughs> yeah. on the way out. Yeah, you could just feel like, okay, the town is souring on this guy. Uh, then um, after that has passed, we have just a great moment that I love where they are all seated down. And Tim Robbins goes, guys, can we talk about something other than Hollywood for a change? We're all educated people. Like, can we not do this? Everybody goes, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like a soft a beat. beat. Everyone laughs. And then he smiles like it's like, oh, Darkness. they're laughing. <laughs> they're Darkness. laughing. But are they laughing at his suggestion? And it's like, no, it's a joke. Yep. It is dark. But I do want to say this. This is a very mild sort of smart thought I have about Ooh. Hollywood and the business, which is I think it is very in vogue and maybe has been since the 90s to be a too cool for school mm. and not impressed by like, you know, seeing a celebrity or like, you know, being in a, you know, close to any of these like cool things. And I'm just like, I'm a little over it. Yeah. I do want to talk about Hollywood mm. and movies and stuff. I do want to see famous people. <gasps> and why the fuck else would I fucking live here? Like, you live here too, bitch. Like, you fucking moved here. Like, this is not the best place. I would live in the fucking woods, dog. Like, I, I would be... But if I you live in the like right woods, and you could live next to Glenn Close. Well, yeah, that that, so. yes. There is a better version than what I have right now. <laughs> but I am just like, why are you here if you don't like that stuff? Even if you're just like, well, I'm an artist. Like, this is where I have to be to make my thing. It's like, but you are an artist who was inspired yes. by these other artists. Yes. And you want to be where they yeah. are. So, like, so then you live in New York or something. Yes. That's, um, so that's my also, take. Another fun cameo in this scene is Brad Davis, who um, stars in Quirrell. And this was his last um, on-camera role. And is that your favorite as themselves in the movie? No. Okay. My favorite is um, in maybe a few scenes from now at the like dinner party where he brings Bonnie. Okay. So uh, yes, that's like, that's, we have one scene in between, which and is just to that, mention the, the, the mounting death threats. The way that I, that I, how many times I've seen this movie. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't do a recent rewatch, which is not a, <laughs> which is actually bad, but like, yeah. like a few weeks ago. A couple ago. weeks, yeah. Yeah, like three weeks ago I watched it again. So there's, there's these mounting death threats that are coming for Tim Robbins in addition to like his job being threatened, his life is being threatened. Yes. And as he's mentioning it to people, the refrain is, it's probably coming from a writer. So there's, uh, even at that time, this feeling that writers are a little crazy and probably the most frustrated and disenchanted members of the, of the creative community. group. Um, and uh, and then they say, it's probably from a writer. And he says, which one? And they say, take your pick. Um, so it's like, just a known thing forever. That's who has an ax to grind yes. with Hollywood executives is the writers. Yes. Um, he then goes to Sidney Pollack's party, best acting career of any director and maybe anyone. I mean, Buck Henry's got got a close, got yeah. a, got a, got it close, but yeah. I mean, he's got good roles. Oh, like he's yes. he's in this. He's got a great role. Michael Clayton, Eyes Wide Shut. He's so good. In Tootsie, Michael Clayton. like the guy just rules. Yeah. Um. So uh, he's he's in there. Um, and then we keep catching like through the window, these yes. other conversations. This is an Altman thing. He like, you can hear dialogue, mm -hmm. he'll like blend dialogue from other parts of the room so that he'll like foreground suddenly something that's happening far away. So yeah. Jeff Goldblum 
is with Larry Levy, yep. a dazzling Peter Gallagher. Um, and he's trying to remember the name of the bad guy from Ghostbusters, which is such another great Hollywood thing where it's like they're, you know, talking about movies. They're so plugged in. But then he's also like, what's the guy? He's the bad guy. He's a Ghostbusters. He's the man's name is William Atherton. <laughs> I know this because we cast him as Andre's father on Workaholics. <gasps> Are you serious? And I hung out with him for the day. Amazing. And we were all excited. Um, because he's the bad guy from Ghostbusters, yes. <laughs> you know, 30 years later or whatever, but we're all pumped about it. I hung out with him. He told me that I simply have to go to La Jolla. He had this very like, like, <laughs> um, just sort of affluent feel about him. And then there was this great scene where he's come to visit Durs and the reveal is going to be that he's, he's not there just for a visit. He's going to tell him like, that the family's in some financial trouble. But of course, his version of financial trouble, his line is like, this is how bad it is. We lost the lake house, Dursey. <laughs> and and what he says for some reason in the take is just one of the outtakes I'll always remember is we get to the moment in the scene and he goes, Dursey, we lost the milk house. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and Anders in the scene goes, the fuck is a milk house? <laughs> so with all respect for my elders, that's my William Atherton memory. That's a really, really good Atherton memory. Um, then we're at the scene. He's talking to Sidney Pollack. Uh, he's he's saying like, um, lately I'm getting death threats, but also what I'm really worried about is, is Larry Levy might come work for my studio. Um, and then this is a great scene. Uh, almost could have been my wish I wrote it, but I just really like this exchange. Tim Robbins says to Pollock, so the rumors are true. Pollock goes, the rumors are always true. You know that. He says, well, I'm always the last to hear them. He goes, no, you're the last to believe them. Wow. Amazing exchange. Wow. And again, a very like- No, but it's like perfect character work also yes yeah. yes it's like so much information about him yes. about who pollock is to him yes. like he has this mentor kind of father figure who's looking out for him but is also like come on pull your head out of your mm. ass and like he's got this fear but he's also got such a big ego mm. that he won't really even acknowledge what uh, you know the writing that's on the wall for him and this encouragement from him right where it's like you're a comer. You'll deal with it. Mm. Like, And he's like, well, he's in my face. Well, he's a comer too. That's what they do. They get in your face. Um, just like a really good sort of also still relevant feeling Hollywood exchange, especially the rumors are always true. You know that. Like yes. there is such a funny like you hear these little like this person did this or this person has this issue. And it's like it may never come to light. Yeah. I just read this book called Everybody Knows. Do you know about this book? Mm -mm. Just like this pulpy like a uh, crisis PR publicist gets Ooh. murdered. And like his protege is trying to figure out like what celebrity secret he knew that got him killed. Amazing. But the it's very pulpy and the refrain that she has as she's investigating is nobody talks, but everybody whispers. Love. <laughs> and it, Love. This reminded me of that. We're taking that in. We're taking that in. We're <laughs> pitching on that Tim, uh, as soon as the strike breaks because we're not crossing any picket lines. Um, my favorite cameo um Harry Belafonte, and I have another favorite cameo that's a cut one that's in a few scenes coming up. Okay, great. Um, so Harry then, Belafonte just like passes by. 
Uh, it's amazing. Uh, the next, um, there's some writer disrespect in the next scene that we have to touch on. Let's touch. Uh, Bonnie is reading the script in the hot tub, <laughs> reading it out loud and making fun of it. Bonnie. Oh, Bonnie. And by the way, Stolen Valor, apparently she's calling herself a story editor, but that title is for us in our rooms. <laughs> um, but I guess that Stolen also was like Valor. some like junior exec name. <laughs> Huh. Um, but she's she's in the hot tub. He says he's got a story to pitch her after she's finished making fun of something that people worked really hard on. Uh, and then and it took, I didn't think it was that bad what she was reading. Um, it was fine. It was it was uh, a sex scene where they were zooming in on the horse's nostrils to show that the horse could feel the passion of the two people making love. Um, but also then good specifics like all around their commentary on like the places that nudity ends up being in the movie and like who are the people who are nude where yes and like to that sort of making fun of that earlier exec also who's like but are they gonna are they gonna have sex yes are the people i want to see having sex going to have it on camera in a way that i can see it yes there's definitely yeah there's always every time they're talking about another movie or something it's always layered with the movie that you're yeah, watching the, uh, in a way that's so cool dp also like in the commentary talked about how he really like thought or like saw opportunities to like play with genre in that way like visually like if like changing how something would feel if it was a more noir moment or mm-hmm. a, a more comedic moment how could they could like reference other movies that they loved in those ways also the opening shot um robert altman conceived of himself and just like he brought up cherry picker like to like like just like drove it to the set and oh, it was wow. just like playing around by himself and was like we can do this for longer we can do this for even longer we can do this for even longer oh, and wow. the dp was like he was just watching him and he was like okay if that's what you want to do just a dude having fun literally just an old man having a blast <laughs> um so uh there's problems with the lonely room this is the movie that we'll hear about all throughout it great name for a movie great name <laughs> written by one of my favorite actors in the movie, I guess, but my uh, Richard E. Grant. Oh yes, well. Oh wait, oh, wait. the Lonely the Room is already the, in production. The, the, Richard E. Grant pitches the Lonely Room is the a, one, a different movie yes. later. The Lonely, the lonely room, room is the one with um, Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin, and what's his name? Um, the guy. The guy is a guy. I know the guy is a guy. The guy but is I can't a guy, but I can't name. remember. But that's the experience you have seeing him in the movie too. Is like I know that. Guy. I know that guy, which is honestly good. Also in the um. Criterion extras because I have the Blu-ray. Um, they show like all of the scenes from the Lonely Room that they filmed, uh-huh. and it's really funny because Lily Tomlin is like, "I'm here for a day. Like I'm so tired." And to the guy, she's like, "Can you stop like smoking? Like can you stop smoking? Like can we relax? Can we just like hurry up and shoot this?" And he's like, "I gotta get into character." And she's like, <laughs> "Okay." Like, well, this isn't real. Well, that yeah, that's like the first thing you hear is like they're giving Lily a hard time on the Lonely Room, and then it's like does happen inside. The- <laughs> they literally, they literally were giving Willie a hard time in the lonely room. So I have a question for you. Just as we like continue to build this idea of there's a writer with an axe to grind who's coming to kill him, and he keeps getting more and more like faxes and postcards and messages. He never knows how they got onto the lot. Um, have I ever? Have you ever threatened somebody? Have you ever had a specific executive who you had an issue with? Not to name names at all, but has there ever been like Larry Levy, um, <laughs> somebody that you dealt with at any place where it was like, I feel like they hate me, or I really hope that I don't have to like 
you know, pitch to this person. I hope it's this other person. I've had people where they've been not very nice in like mm -hmm. a meeting. Yeah. And then like post bear, all of a sudden they're like really chummy with me. That's cool. Which which is cool. But also then it makes me feel like so sick to my stomach because I'm like, if I'm in something that people hate or if you know what I mean, I, I get like two years older and then all of a sudden, like, you know, just how quickly favor yeah, can the change is like mm -hmm. is so is very interesting yeah it's fake it's all fake it's all fake and like the transparency of it i think is like what drives me nuts and where yeah. i'm like even if i am like trying my best to be above it like it'll still happen to me well yeah and it's very frustrating like w the transparency that you mention uh when there are people who are so openly attempting to be so manipulative with mm. no nuance yes, at yes, all. Yes, yes, yes. Where it's just like, you're like, if it's, even if it's positive, it's like, you're just like stroking my ego. Like you're building me up because you want something in particular yes. from me. And like, it still feels good to get the compliment. Yes. But you're like <laughs> insulted too, because you're like, how do you think I don't see what you're doing? Well, it's like, I'm always very curious if that type of delusional person like knows that they're that they're being delusional in that way. And no, if it that's even the thing that's insulting to me because... is I go like, I think you think you're tricking me. Yeah. I think you're like, I am playing this guy so good. I'm and like, this, I like... know you're playing me. I'm going to do the thing you want. Of course. But... <laughs> well, it's also like the way that the system is built is for that to to work. So it doesn't even matter if they know or they don't at some point. But sometimes no. I have that, that feeling just general where I'm like, wow, like if you were as much of a sociopath as, as you think you were, like, wouldn't you be just like... 3% better at Well, hiding, that's the thing. I, I like a little it. bit of, I, I would like an art to a the bullshit. Yeah. Like I, I would like to feel like I'm being cared for. But maybe you are, but you are being cared for because they're showing you how, how openly of a manipulator they are. Yeah, yeah. In a way. Yes, it's just like, it's so on the surface sometimes. I'm like, mm. God, you must think I'm so stupid. But then it's like, I am. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'll say uh, there was an executive at a studio at one point who I was pitching a show and they asked me a question like, well, what happens with these two characters? And as I was answering, they wordlessly stood up and walked out of the room. I once had a meeting with somebody um, who called me in for a general and was like, I've heard so much about you. Uh, my assistant can't stop talking about you. I do have to run. I'm off to vacation, but my assistant will come and like stay and take the meeting with you and like take notes. I was like, what? And they left and they went on vacation. Yeah. And the assistant was like, I didn't know, I didn't know that was <laughs> happening, but I am really excited to meet with you. And what would you like? to do Just like in the future the i was <sighs> like this i was like this is devastating for all parties mostly I'm, me but <laughs> we had a pitch once where we had sent a like a dvd of the show presentation pilot ahead mm. of time and then the guy hadn't watched it of course not and then he was just like what you mean you want me to watch it right now we were like well yeah that's what we're going to talk about and he's like i mean i need to get to comic-con today like i'm about to hit the road and oh, it's like you want to be like bud they're not gonna miss you. <laughs> You're not so gonna like, do anything. Why am I here? You want to go to Comic Con? Why go am ahead. I here? Like, yeah. Um, reschedule or have yeah. somebody reschedule for you. And another bad one I had with the same person who walked out of my pitch, who then 
who that just walked just left and then like everyone else like under that person was like they do that sometimes <laughs> i was like okay uh-huh. so then i had another pitch set with them like three years later and i was like hey i really don't want to pitch to this person like i think they hate me like i was like i think they just didn't like me like they like didn't like my answer didn't want to be there with me like i really don't want to go and they were like no no no, no. they read your script they love your script they want to do this like go in and pitch like it's it's worth it i understand like it's in your head they like you so i went in and i start pitching and i'm going like well and as you see like in the pilot this and they go wait a second there's a script for this so so humbling <laughs> so humbling to like live and work in this town and i was like oh yeah they were like oh i should check it out and i was like oh uh, yeah, yeah that would be so good that'd be amazing and then like i was just like okay well not and not their fault that i was told something untrue but um just goes to show like it really it really shows it wasn't in my head it they really did not shows. like or respect me <laughs> um so anyway that now we finally meet um the love interest of the movie the artist girlfriend um kevin mentioned that i i've talked before about how movies from this era there's always an artist dressed all in white <laughs> she's here <laughs> never has a speck of paint she's on got them. a headband to boot <laughs> yeah. um Sort of an early manic pixie dream girl, no? A thousand percent. Like, not referenced as like one of those archetypes, but like, is an artist immediately engages with him. Tim Robbins calls calls the house of the person he yeah. suspects has been sending him death threats. This woman answers. She's the girlfriend. She doesn't seem to care that she has a boyfriend. She's like, so, like instantly like in on Tim Robbins, who... The only cool thing about him is that he's a movie executive, yes. but she never goes to the movies ever because she does art. She's like, and those, this to him is like, things. he's like fetishizing. Yeah, like, this course. is a person who's from a totally different yes. world. Um, and we find out later, never sells her art because it's never finished. She's pure. Yes. She's pure. Yes. Not a sellout. She's not a sellout. She's pure and confused. She's doing it for her. And her name is... June Goldman's daughter. June, June, yeah, June Goodman's daughter. So uh, he has this exchange with her. She says that he's her... also being creepy as hell. Oh yeah, he's watching her through the window. Our hero is watching her through the window um, and just like yeah, lusting after her. Yeah, where you're like, oh, I'm rooting for a guy who has a questionable morality, and oh yeah. Yeah, it gets a, a little worse. It gets even worse. Um, so he goes. So to, stop asking questions at a certain point. <laughs> he finds out that um, the writer Vincent D'Onofrio, a young, uh, very lithe Vincent D'Onofrio, he looks good. He I'll looks say it. So cool. He looks good. Um, he's uh, at a screening of The Bicycle Thief at the Rialto in Pasadena. So Tim Robbins drives up to pretend that he's in the movie too, and accidentally bump into dude. Uh, first spots a guy who looks more like a writer to yes, him. Yes, yes. And goes, I was like, Kahane, David Kahane. The guy's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Does ultimately identify David Kahane. Says like, hey, I never got back to you on that pitch, did I? Uh, well, let's go grab a drink and talk about it. Um, D'Onofrio is like bitter writer, yes. artist, uh, but says like, and there's also a good moment I, I like where he says, um, why don't you let the studio buy us a drink? 
just something about Hollywood, the like corporate card yep. culture yep. and the weirdness of like when there's a work, any work meeting, like they're pay, they're like paying, but it yeah. just feels strange. Well, like sometimes the, a recent change that I've experienced is like going out with friends and then everybody's trying to use their like corporate card or it's like oh. like before like we put it on my business card yeah yeah it's no let me no please let me let well, me i'll just say we talked about work i mean we did we all work together but That's... you know there'll be both be like oh let's all split and i'll have a friend who'll be like no no i'll pay and i'm like you don't have to pay let's all split and they're like i'll pay and then i see it's like poopy time llc and i'm like okay <laughs> i see what's happening you got a you got an account call Trying to rack up the charges, I see. I one time was on a, um, on set for a pilot and a manager showed up of like one of the uh, talent and just was doing this thing of like, <laughs> well, I got my uh, corporate card if anybody wants to go to the strip clubs, <laughs> imagine. <laughs> no, I was, I was down here uh, for another, uh, for a pilot shoot last year and it's like, the you know writers and we're just like oh we want to go to the strip clubs it's like okay i guess i gotta put it on the corporate car but like yeah you guys don't want to do that like, <laughs> it's like this guy is so fucking desperate it was it so really funny. wants to go to the strip club yeah, like yeah no it's like we're gonna have dinner and like we gotta be on set at 6 a.m he does that like, every other day yes Every other day. Imagine I'm just like swiping the corporate car. We're like going to the, you know, whatever. So crazy. Oh my God. Jeannie, she's the account. She's the account. She's always going, what the heck is this? I'm going, the writers, the writers. Yeah, some people like it. You guys though, you wouldn't be. No, no, you, you, you know, unless I mean, if you want, I mean, as a, even as a joke, you could do it. I would have to take. I would have to take you. Oh my God. I would have to take you. Um, so, uh, at any rate, I just like that, uh, little specific. And then he goes to a karaoke bar yes. where there is a perfect pause between <laughs> Steven and Spielberg. But he goes, he's like, have you ever been to Japan? Well, I was on set with Steven Spielberg. Amazing. <laughs> um, the meeting goes sour. Yep. Denovrio reveals that he saw Tim Robbins walk in late. He knows that he's being manipulated. Uh, he basically like, I'd rather say fuck you than get the deal that you're offering me. Um, you're a phony. Uh, we're sort of getting the sense that maybe he's not the person who was sending the death threats mm -hmm. because every time Robin says like, let's cool it with the postcard business. He's like, I don't write postcards. I write movies. He then gives an amazing fuck you speech to Tim Robbins in the parking lot. This drunk speech where he's like, you know what? I can write. What can you do? Like you do nothing. Like fuck off, like, I'm going to be okay. Like, you're just like a, a suit, you're a stuffed shirt. Mm -hmm. And he's somehow plugged in enough. This guy who's never sold anything yep. or done anything knows, knows, about... the, knows the inter-studio politics of like, should I even be pitching to you? I should be talking to Larry, Larry. Levy. I hear he's Larry. the one with buying power. And Devastating. In, in both this movie and Sunset Boulevard, there is a writer who tells a more powerful person with a fragile ego exactly what the town thinks of them and is instantly murdered for it. <laughs> so it's like, there's like a little solace for writers where it's like, we can generate our own work. You don't have to like be given permission to go to work. Like, you know, uh, actors and directors need to, you know, um, but uh, you will be you, killed. You will be killed. <laughs> you will be killed. You cannot tell someone how they're actually viewed or no. you will be murdered. Yeah. 
That makes sense. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that's one of the things that we're actually fighting for. Yes. Yeah. We want to stop being killed. <laughs> Please. We want to be able to give some light criticism and not Just get drowned in a puddle. Just see what happens. Yeah, and it's like he's drowned very, very brutally. And it's like amazing, amazing, amazing work by Tim Robbins. It's so like Tim Robbins in this. Ugly and human. He gets like hit with the door of the car as Denovrio's getting in and knocked down. And then so Denovrio kind of goes to check on him, didn't mean to hit him that hard. And then he just like fights back and he just snaps. And it's so. He is, again, he's not murdering him. Because he's been getting death threats and he's afraid of this person, he is murdering him because he is afraid he's going to lose his job. And this guy mentioned it <laughs> like that. No, is he's like a happening. genuine worm. Yeah, it's just like he is driven by like his ego yes. and his position yes, and, and all these other things. And it's like yes, and a fear of like losing status mm-hmm. much more so than losing his life. Yeah, he never seems really scared yeah. of the death threats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the same way that he is scared of like, even when the police are sniffing around and he may be arrested for murdering this man, it feels like not so much that he's afraid of jail as he's afraid of losing his job yeah. at the studio. Yes, like, or yes, at least yes. that's how I take it. That's a thousand percent how I take it. He's afraid of going to jail because he wouldn't be able to be an exec in jail. Yes, like that. that's sort of what's happening. Um, but... The next scene is very important. This will be the main strike discussion that we have to have because Peter Gallagher, as the new hotshot executive, is giving a monologue about how writers are overpaid. Yeah. And he's like, we could come up with the stories ourselves. Yeah. Like, sure, maybe they write the script, but the execs should be coming up with the stories. This is literally exactly, exactly, exactly what is happening it's with AI. It's so insane. Where he's like, we don't need to have a writer involved for like the idea. Like they can do the manual labor of like typing out mm-hmm, the shit, mm-hmm. but they should be working for us. And what, you know, what has been said they want because AI technology, I'm not an expert, apparently is, still far away from generating a producible, shootable script. Yeah. But they could like go into the algorithm and be like, what would be the kind of show people would really like? And it would be like, it should be a cop show about a single mom who's, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and then give that to a writer and say, you're not the creator of this. Yeah. You don't get any kind of like creator or executive fees or like royalties on it. We want you to use this idea and yes. just generate the actual script. Yes. And that's exactly what he's pitching in this. And I also do think that like as he's doing it, they do this game where they're passing the newspaper around. Amazing scene. And he's like, give me a newspaper story mm-hmm. and I'll tell you how it's a movie. Mm-hmm. And they read like a dry financial story and he does kind of turn Gives it into it a logline. Yeah. And what is like very... um. I don't know, something I kind of connect to in it is if you do have this job, everyone feels like they can do your job. Yes. Like your friend from high school yes. or your in-law, yes. or they kind of go like, I actually have a movie of idea. Of course. And it is kind of a cool demonstration of that. And as you see here, like sometimes they kind of do mm-hmm. have a good movie idea, but that's such a small part of, of like, of like what it actually it. is. Yeah. Like having to like actually go like, okay, but how does it work? Like yeah. How do you open it? How do you, you know, like 
how do you structure it like that's and then fill in all the little tiny pieces like it's so much work but it feels Mm. when you watch it like i could do this yeah because i have a similar it's like the modern art thing it's like yes i could do this but you didn't and you don't know how to uh, but it's a big disrespect. Yeah, and well, I it's and like I the get status it. of the writer is like is so just like how people perceive writers is so clear throughout this movie. Like yes, even just thinking about the where they're like we make the we make the movie. We are the ones who put it together, and we give these writers who are so lucky to to be seen by us the director who actually makes it good, or the actor who actually makes people want to see it. And it's like it. The script, though, it, like, yeah. it does all start with the script. It's like none of these people would sign on if there wasn't even anything. Yeah, but it's there. like it's obviously it's written by a writer, yes. and it's just like so much from the perspective yes. of like no one values this. It's very, it's very interesting. I don't know. I'm like, I am very interested in seeing how this will all unfold because, like, that problem is is a, as old as time, or at least as old as. <laughs> yeah, as old as what, whatever. Like, I mean, it was it's in Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, some of the same stuff. So it's like seventy five years or something. Mm, but like to see the way that technology is like ramping up the well, stakes of it. So I wanted to mention Tim Robbins has like the blow of the scene. He sees the story of the murdered writer in the newspaper. He gets like flop sweat. He's uh-huh. panicking. He like feels like he's gonna have to talk to the police about this. Um. He mentions like I was in I was in Pasadena. I saw the bicycle thief last night. Um, So like he can he's like owning that he was there, but he's not really listening to what's going on. uh, And he manages to save it by saying, well, Larry, I think it's a really interesting idea to eliminate the writer from the creative process. If we can just get rid of these actors and directors, we may Mm -hmm. really be on to something. Mm -hmm. And they are trying to do that now. <laughs> they yeah. are trying they to use the technology to, to like not have to have the actors. So it's like, again, at the time that this is made, it's like very cynical about movies. Mm-hmm. And it's comedic. Yeah. The idea that you would you would ever lose uh, actors and directors. Directors, I guess, a little safer. But for animation, I think they'd like to just have AI do all the directing too. A thousand for sure. percent. A thousand um, percent. So then he gets pulled in uh by Fred Ward. Now, this is a, just a little to me maybe a slight criticism of the movie. Fred Ward who in the opening we see like explaining tracking shots and how movies are set up and then we always see him like in the big boss's office. Mm-hmm. It turns out he's the head of studio security. Did you think that was his job? Nope. <laughs> I didn't think the head of studio security would be like holding court about like the problem with modern cinema. Now it's cool like everybody who works on the lot talks yes. about this, but he just he felt more like an executive position to yes. me. He's now here to try to help Tim Robbins with like his alibi or his story um, because he knows you're in hot water. Yeah. The police want to talk to you. You were the last person seen with this guy who yes. has been killed. And something that I think this is actually, I misspoke earlier. This is the only time they do talk about like stock price mm. and shareholders mm-hmm. is he says to Tim Robbins, we really need to keep this quiet because if the stock price drops, we could be vulnerable to a takeover. Well, and it's like, you might have murdered someone. Yeah, but this is these are our priorities. I am concerned <laughs> about whether someone else could buy the studio. It's amazing. It's amazing. I just now you think saying this also, do you do you think there's any way because it's also like Fred Ward 
is there any way that like it's sort of like a euphemism for like something like there's there is something sort of like shady or like underground about his character do you know what i mean wait what does that make sense <laughs> like i don't know maybe i'm just like, about his character yeah or is he really just like the head of studio security um yeah well it's like interesting that the head of studio security he's obviously a fixer right that's what, like that's, what it really is yes. is like this guy is in charge of making sure scandals don't appear and it's maybe you know prior to there being like the prominence of like PR, PR. crisis PR people yeah. but it is like yes I'm sure that what's not being spoken is this boss who wants to see a sex scene and like all these other executives in like what is shown to be a real boys club probably have a lot of things they do that are bad that he hides. Good job. Um, Good job, Fred Ward. <laughs> so because and he hides it to make sure that the stock price stays up. So that is where they um, do invoke that. Uh, Kahane, we see his eulogy. The writer's eulogy is all about Hollywood and selling scripts. Yes. The whole eulogy is like his friend who's also a struggling writer yep. being like, and every time I stick it to the studios with a big script sale, that'll be for you. It'll be an honor of David Kane. And it's like not talking about his life no, or anything at all. Reads this kind of shitty like last page that he wrote. And it's like, and this is the last thing he wrote. What was he trying to tell us? It's just the opening of like a generic movie. Tim Robbins goes, sidles up to the girlfriend at the funeral. What well, is also this thing where it's like, it is just funny in a very <laughs> mean and sad way, where it's like this guy was was really mid and like yes, like, no, that's that's what I was just about to say is when Tim Robbins goes up to the girlfriend of the man he murdered, yep. and like starts flirting with her at the funeral. He goes, ah, David was uh, was a really talented guy, and she goes, oh, is that so? I always suspected he was uniquely untalented. Also a theme in these movies, like Barton Fink, it's like, he's not good. Yeah. Um, uh, we talked about it at Sunset Boulevard, like that guy's not, not good. good. Like most of the people, for some reason, like as you're following the writer, it's it's like, they also sort of suck. Yes. Um, and therefore deserve no dignity in life or death. <laughs> um, uh, so she says that. And then she also says a sort of mission statement for the movie is spoken by uh, her where um, he's talking about like, you know, I hope they catch whoever did this and mm. punish the person who committed the crime. And she says, I think the suffering is the punishment for committing a crime. I don't care if they catch who did it. And then he's like, oh, really? And then um, she says, if you don't suffer, maybe it wasn't a crime after all. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Right? Like, it's like. Did it even happen that mm -hmm. he killed this guy? Mm -hmm. Did this writer even exist? No, only Tim Robbins exists. I want to talk about now as he like picks up this beautiful woman artist who is in love with him instantly, even instantly. though she doesn't like what he does. Uh, and also hated he's, her ex-boyfriend who just died. Hated him. Tim Robbins walked by me on Hillhurst once. Okay. He's very tall. He is very tall. Is he? And he looks so tall in the in all yes. the scenes. He's like almost slouches a little bit. He's in his Range Rover. Yes. Is he our tallest non-action movie star? Oh, geez. Can you think of another actor with a career like this? Like who's That's been the, the lead in many with movies. With a career who's, like this. Who is this tall? A lot of our, our big men are short. 
Yes. No, actors are famously sort of short. And I just want to say that Tim Robbins is sort of like a, a triumph. And what's especially interesting is, you know, he's six five. Yeah. There's a quality. I, look, he's nice looking. Yeah. But he's treated like. Yes. He's like incredible looking in, in some of these movies where I yes. don't think I don't think his facial structure is as handsome as some of our other screen icons. Do you feel like some of that is 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 being compensated for height? I think that in life there are people who because they are 65 wow. are treated like they are more attractive than they are, but that never translates to screen except with Tim Robbins. Uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. He's the only person I can think of. And so He's a very unique movie star. And it, it, this may be another smart thought I'm well, having he, that he it, gets the benefit of like tall guy bumping up the hotness factor. But in movies that shouldn't matter because they're close on your face so but often. But he's also got an everyman who's got the vibe. about him. Like he's got like a vibe where you're like, yeah, you a thousand percent could be somebody that I know. But he's yes, but he's but he not. Is but he's he he is. He's nice looking, but he's not. He's not playing an everyman in this movie. Not in really. this movie. No, he's not playing an everyman in Bull Durham. Really, you know, like he is. You know, no. he's um, he's special in a lot of these movies. Yeah, and like, and I buy it. But I just uh, what's his thing? I think it's I wonder. interesting. What's his thing? Okay, so this is a theory that I got from my from my friend Lionel, mm -hmm. which is like actors exist on a spectrum. And like once you figure out what your spectrum is, then that's like how you be able to like mm -hmm. unlock the types of roles that you should be doing. So like Denzel Washington, he acts on like a spectrum of like morality. He's either playing like the most corrupt or the most moral person or somebody mm -hmm. like struggling with those things. Uh, Andrew Garfield, really good at like uh, faith. Like he's either the most faithful or like the like most doubting. And like he's really mm -hmm. good when he's like on that spectrum. Jim Carrey, it's like, stillness and movement like like yeah either like ace ventura or like well jim carrey Sunshine. i'll, I'll, I'll tell you the the thing about jim carrey and i don't know if we and i don't know if we should even leave this in because i'm going to really talk about one of our contemporaries who I, i've known but what unlocked jim carrey's career because he has this incredible ability to do this, like obviously like rubber faced, massive mm -hmm. physical comedy. And so he did this string of movies where something supernatural happened to him, where he could play a regular guy Whoa. who then because of a magic mask uh -huh. or because of a curse to be unable to lie, uh -huh. he would have to go in to these inhuman manic fits, but you still knew, Whoa. I believe him as a person mm -mm -mm. and he's allowed to do his crazy thing, mm -hmm. even a vow to only say yes to everything. Uh -huh. There had to be some magical other element that made you able. And then after he did four of those, yeah. now he can play a person. Wow. Now he can be a guy and you believe him. He's transitioned from being this crazy sketch person who he was in Ace Ventura mm -hmm. or whatever. Because Ace Ventura, he's so big, that he couldn't go straight from Ace Ventura to Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. He has to do these steps in between to get you used to him being normal with his superpower still happening. Mm. And what I would say is, mm. I would like to see Kate McKinnon do this path. I would like people to start writing things for her. Wow. Because I, very I, good. I think she's a very talented actress, but very I think good. that she was in this sketch world yeah. where she was playing these huge characters yeah. and doing this like, Really crazy behavior. And by the way, she's excellent in, in Barbie. Yes, yes. 
but she's playing a very heightened person. Yes. And in order to get her to a place where she can just lead a movie as a person, which I think she can do, I think she's a great actress. Yeah. I think we need some in-between steps. Beatrice where, Almighty. Yes, Beatrice Almighty. Yeah. This is what we need. So yeah. this is just my suggestion. Hollywood, take it or leave it. Mm, well, leave it. And then once the strike breaks, take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Call her. This is good. But anyway, just something to think about what Tim Robbins' thing is. Well, let's see if we can solve it at the end. So anyway, uh, small issue here. They do have the Curb Your Enthusiasm issue of they have a lot of people playing themselves and yes. a lot of cameos. So then when Whoopi Goldberg is playing a detective, she's yes. sort of too big a star at this yes. point to be playing a person. She should be Whoopi Goldberg. She should, but they do something. That scene is so surreal. Yes. And is like referencing freaks, both like actually referencing it. Yes. But one of us, one of us. And also, like, in the way that it's shot and just, like, the creepy, surreal feeling of it. So or you're like, I guess it is strange that Whoopi Goldberg is here. Yeah, it is. It is strange. And she's excellent in it because she really shifts. She has an incredible shift from being, like, sort of understanding detective to being, like, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And starts, like, really being nasty to him. And it's, like, and is like done with so much you're like, kind she of knows. style and charm. Like, like, you just, she knows. you know she knows. She knows. And she's just, like. And so does kind he. of knows that she's not going to get him too. Uh, so well, it's her and Lyle Lovett. The whole, it's doomed from the start. Yes, Lyle Lovett. Uh, what a strange appearance! Amazing and like, face. yeah, he, he's yeah, he's just lurking in the background. It's like, is he the one sending the postcards? No, uh, he's not. Um, one more meta piece, as we mentioned. Like, so they're watching the Lonely Room. Yes, and the Larry Levy commentary on it is. They're shooting it through a window. And he's like, I, just, I can't fucking see what they're doing. Like, why are they doing it this way? And so many scenes in the movie are shot through these through, windows. Yes. So it's just like Altman kind of commenting on what the studio executives will say about the cut of the movie when they watch it that he's making. And there's a movie inside the movie that's happening. So it's just like a really beautiful meta moment. Um, the threats and postcards are continuing. They get a phone call. Um, saying that Joe Gillis wants to meet with uh, Tim Robbins. We, of course, know because we're smart. Joe Gillis is the screenwriter from Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. It has to be explained to some other people. He goes to this hotel to meet with Joe Gillis. Who he knows this is the postcard guy. I'm going to finally see him face to face. Surprise. Instead, he bumps into Richard Grant and Dean Stockwell. Amazing. Uh, they immediately just see him and start pitching, pitching. this movie. Yes. First, they try to like introduce him to another famous person. Yes. They're like, oh, this is Andy McDowell. Like, we're important. We know her. Like, don't you want to sit with us? Then when she leaves, uh, they start pitching their thing. And it's like this very artistically precious idea mm -hmm. where it's got a sad ending. It's a little bit heady. And they keep saying, no stars. No stars. And then one of the great lines is Dean Stockwell standing next to Richard Grant goes, maybe someone British, like what's his name? And it's like, Richard Grant is not a star. He is someone British. He's somebody like, British, like what's his name? Um, uh, and, and he's also so perfectly out of breath. His, yes, he's the like, desperation in his pitch. Perfect. And Dean is like his buddy who's like already like undercutting the ideas they're doing it of like, no stars. I mean, we get Julia Roberts. Like, yeah. Like, uh, you know, they're, they mentioned like, oh, I mean, he's like, well, could it be Bruce Willis? And it's like, no, 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 no. It has to be no stars. Um, 
So then as they're pitching it to the movie they're pitching has this kind of bonfire of the vanities parallel. Mm -hmm. Bonnie goes to bid on the Tom Wolfe novel in the next scene. She acquires the new Tom Wolfe novel. This movie, Roger Ebert said, this is the movie Bonfire of the Vanities wanted to be. The book is incredible. It is largely this story. It is like this guy who kills someone of lower status and he's a captain of industry and did it ever happen? And in the movie that they're pitching, it's like the DA really wants to prosecute a rich white guy mm -hmm. to show that the law enforcement in the city is not racist. Yes. And that is what happens in Bonfire of the Vanities as well. So um, there's weird like references to that. Um, and I just, I sort of thought that was interesting and maybe a little bit strange that they're like kind mm -hmm. of showing respect to it, but also like outdoing it at its own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he gets back in his car. There's a rattlesnake in the car. Rattlesnake in the car, W-Y-D. Rattlesnake in the car. W-Y-D. I'm already in the car. You're in the car. I'm There's driving. a box that says don't open till Christmas. Well, I, I don't open it. It's I don't not open Christmas. it, first of all. <laughs> Unless it's Christmas, I'm not opening that dang box. I don't open it. But when you open it, there's a rattlesnake and the box is designed so that it falls apart and now the rattlesnake is in your car. I go, yoink. Yeah. Break, leave. Rattlesnake in your car, W-I-D. Mm-hmm. Me? Yeah, you. Give a little kiss. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Give a little kiss. No. Hey, I'm one of the nice guys. You're not going to know. Yeah, don't rattle at me. Um, I'm rattlesnake in your car. <laughs> yeah, I probably, I probably, I probably, I probably don't do nothing. I'm going to say, this guy's one of the nice guys. This um, guy's one of the good ones. <laughs> so um, now Tim Robbins has heard the project. He passes it off to Levy intentionally, like, thinks it's a dud, thinks it can't be successful, and so manages to maneuver the situation so that Levy, like, hears the pitch and wants to buy it and kind of goes like, this is great. Levy's like, okay, we've got to buy it right now. And then he's like, I've heard it first, but what I'm going to do is make it that this guy shepherds the project, then the project will be a dud, and then he'll be fucked because I have, like, um, made him look bad. There's a line in here where Bonnie says to Tim Robbins, she's his girlfriend at the beginning of the movie, but he starts sleeping with the dead man's girlfriend, um, or not sleeping with, but dating. Uh, she says, what's going on? You've been stringing me along like one of your goddamn writers. <laughs> now, he's noted as he's the writer executive. Yes. He's the one who like writers like. Yes. And so that's like sort of his reputation, but we know they also hate him. And I just want to ask... Have you ever had a situation where a studio or an executive or a star is like just milking meeting after meeting out of you on a project and just like dragging it out forever? For sure. There's a gatekeeping For sure. that happens of celebrities. So you'll get a call where it's like, hey, we've got this movie idea and Will Ferrell loves it. <laughs> <laughs> and we think you're the person to write it. And then you go, oh my God, yeah, amazing. And then you, for weeks, write and write and write and go like, okay, and the outline's this. And they go, we need a little more before we can bring it to Will. Like, we just want it perfect so that like, we, you know, you're only going to get one chance to make a first impression on Will. And then it's like, after months, it's like, okay, so 
Will didn't know about the idea. <laughs> and he doesn't like the idea. But we think we could keep developing it with you. It's just like, oh. What do you think about Jason Bateman? Yeah. And you just learn like earlier and earlier to be like, I just, I need to talk to the person. Yeah. Like I cannot do, work for I cannot the rest do 15 full outlines and like the first six scenes of the movie uh, for free. But it takes a few tries to learn to that. Learn that. <laughs> um, the Pasadena police interview scene we mentioned, it's totally surreal. There's the freaks thing. Um, then he goes back to the studio after being like really basically told by the police, we know that you yeah. did it. Um, and he's just like perched insanely on his couch. And his girlfriend comes in and is like, you took a different girl to like a very public event with all of our colleagues. Yes. And he uh, looks insane and is just like, yeah, I'm dating her now. <laughs> um, and so he's just like, I, I sort of, I love the movie. I don't totally know what they're even telling me about him. At he like mm. he's feels the walls closing in, yeah. but he just also feels this freedom, I guess, to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he starts he starts doing more moves. Yeah. Like he's like giving deals, like as if he's not going to get caught. Right. Like he's just like very brazen yes. in his behavior, almost like nothing can touch him. Um, and he sort of becomes weirdly evil. Uh, he always orders waters by name brand, which I think is a great. Yes. Touch. Which is um, a thing that he kind of came up with because he was like, that was going on. Sarah. Like, I felt like there was always a new water. And like Robert Altman was like, I'm into that. Just yeah. name a different water every scene. Yeah, he's like, give me a tuna nice West solid and crystal geyser. <laughs> but it's just like always the bottle. It's it's a very funny, uh, great touch. It feels like such a like not like a like a nineties dad joke or something. Yes. Where it's like, well, actually you made it cinema, so good for you. But <laughs> um so then he gives uh he gives a speech about his job um to his love interest he's he goes to whisk her away to mexico yes they can't go because he sees the police and he's afraid that he's going to get like stopped leaving the country so he drives her to like desert hot springs um and she asks him a little bit about what he does for a living and he kind of says like you know ostensibly like i can make people's dreams come true but the reality is i hear fifty thousand stories a year and i say yes to 12 probably that's worse now yeah, definitely. You pro they probably hear more ideas. Yeah. And any individual and yes person who makes four. movies, yes, <laughs> yeah. can only say yes to three or four. Yeah. Um, then they finally do the nasty. Uh, we do not see any nudity in no. the scene um, as much as they've talked in the yes. previous um, scenes about how they want to see that in the movie. Yeah. It is shot uh, very tastefully. Apparently, the actress requested was, that although altman got a lot of credit for yes, like doing it that but way but she requested it. i think she might have been pregnant okay um but also and and yeah and then altman got all the like wow this man is a genius yes <laughs> it's like the man was so yeah can you believe he didn't show her fucking taters and neneno <laughs> um in the in the commentary he says something where i'm like 
Absolutely, this is one of the directors of my life, but he ultimately was a gross old man. Sure. Um, but where he's like, I mean, it's great, you know, it's like Greta, you don't see any of her stuff, but uh, <laughs> but with Bonnie, it actually plays Bonnie, it's like, you do, and it's not the one that you want to see, but you still see it. And you're like, amazing, sir. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. Thank you, King. I'm playing 3D chess with the fucking... <laughs> With the tatas, brother. With the tatas. <laughs> with um, the hunkers. Uh, so he confesses to the murder while doing the nasty. She does not want to hear it. She says, I I love you. Don't tell me that. It doesn't matter. It's in yeah. the past. Also, then, like weird noir moments leading up where it's like, I guess she's got a gun. Like where you're just like, yeah. okay, sure. Yes, there's yes, there's a bunch of weird foreshadowing. There's often foreshadowing of like something bad's going to happen. Like they zoom in on a poster with like, you know, devil eyes that says like something is coming before he kills the guy. Mm-hmm. Then they also zoom in on other posters with like evil foreboding messages. Yes, yes. But it's it's just him becoming more sinister, yes. I guess. He never like does anything again. He just like it's just all like in care. his consciousness. Yes. Yeah. He just becomes more of a sociopath. Yeah. Um so then uh Robbins hangs dong. You see his dick when he gets out of the mud. Um, we should have some sound effect for when that happens. In a yeah, movie. when Robin's hangs dong. Robin's hangs dong. He- um, is that also that like the two of them in the tubs next to each other? Is yeah. that where the Viagra ad got that image um, from? Oh, that I can't speak to, but I did. I did think about this in the movie that they pitched Tim Robbins. Yes, the person who was murdered. Yes, is not actually dead. Mm. And. As, and and the person who did the murdering has fallen in love or like who, yeah, the DA yeah, yeah. has fallen in love with the ex and then mm-hmm. she's going down for the crime. In this movie, he now has finally slept with this guy's ex. Yes. And then we see skin emerging from the mud. And did you have a moment of being like, wait, is this like D'Onofrio still alive or something? Like, I just thought like, oh, are they trying to kind of tie this in? Mm. Um, but no, it was just her leg in the mud um, and it looked like a Viagra ad. We now have an excellent lineup scene. He gets called back to Pasadena. They have a lineup. They have an eyewitness. He has this like cool lawyer who's just like, even if they identify you, it's not going to matter because she lives across the street. She wears prescription. Just like, you're never going to jail yeah. for this, but you may be inconvenienced by being arrested. Yes. Um, and then the woman keeps wanting to see Lyle Lovett again. Whoopi Goldberg as a Los Angeles area police person is going like, Five? Don't you want to look at five? Like she's saying, this is the person you should be looking at. Um, but ultimately, he doesn't get ID'd. He also, walks out. If I was in that lineup. I would be like, wait, bring forward Lyle Lovett again. Yeah, I got that face. Let me look at that. <laughs> I got to look at that and turn to What's the left and turn to the right, brother. So you're saying he's he's married currently <laughs> to Julia Rock to Pretty Woman? Okay, um, send him back. Bring him forward right. one more time. So I, you're I a, gotta look because I just want to know. You're a country guy. But it's interesting. But Is you're not a, interesting to anyone else. No. <laughs> and I see it. If I was a director, absolutely, I'm seeing this face, and I go, I gotta film that. I would have given him fewer lines. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, He's got presence. Yes. Uh, so he gets off and he walks out of the lineup. He hasn't been identified. It's just like it's over. Mm-hmm. Like he's not going to be caught for the murder. We're not really talking about the death threat stuff anymore. It's kind of like been cooled off since the rattlesnake happened. It was like the near death experience made him like somehow invincible. Yeah. Um, well, so, he also saw you kiss the rattlesnake and he was like, I'm not afraid anymore. That rattlesnake's so cute. <laughs> well, that rattlesnake's so sweet. Kiss my friend Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, 
on the last episode, Ben Rogers recommended the Sumner Redstone book that came out last year. Like, and uh, he in the book has a near death experience, and he says it didn't change me at all. But everyone around him is like, he thought he was invincible after that. Hilarious. And it does seem like that happens to Tim Rogers, where like he kills the fucking rattlesnake. Yeah, and then it's like he don't give a fuck. Anymore. Yeah, like he'll do whatever. Um, but it's also like I think to there's that feeling where it's like that's an exec like no matter how sheepish or fearful or whatever like he might be like that's somebody who will kill they'll kill your career like yeah. they're in it for themselves yes no it's yes everyone is selfish and yeah. self-driven um and that's what makes the town go, go round. round um so then we we cut to one year later we're watching the movie within a movie the richard grant uh movie is playing on the screen this is probably my wish I wrote it. Of all the meta pieces of the movie, yes. the way they do it, and it's like sort of like an easy sketch to do or something where it's just like, well, we're just going to see them do all the things they said they wouldn't do. But it's so well executed yes. that we're like, Susan Sarandon is watching someone on death row. And uh, we see that like, the as they've described, this woman is going to die in the gas chamber for a crime she didn't commit. And it is Julia Roberts. Every single aspect is sold out to the point that Bruce Willis comes running in, Bring. grabs a shotgun <laughs> yes, yes. from the prison guard, yes. steals the prison guard's shotgun, and is like, she didn't do it, and a shoots the gas gassed. chamber. After she's The gassed. gas is in there. He shoots the window out. The, the, the people in the yes. audience start coughing because the gas has now escaped, but yes. everybody's fine. She's like head down. He comes in, picks her up. She says... What, what took, took you, you so, so long? long? She's been saved from the gas chamber. What took you so long? And he goes, traffic was a bitch and carries her out. It's amazing. Amazing. Now Bonnie. Yes. Is like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> you said no stars. You said no yeah. happy ending. Like everything you said you wanted to do about the movie, yeah. like the art that you wanted to make is gone. Okay, and they're like, the fucking ending didn't test well. And then she totally unravels, yeah. gets fired. And her crime, Tim Robbins' crime is he killed he someone. He murdered a man. Her crime is she is a woman who wants to do her job well <laughs> and make the movies the artists want to make. She is punished so much more severely yeah. and is like wandering barefoot out, like goes into her former boyfriend who like slit her throat and is like, you know, I'm going over dude's head. You have to save my job. And he's like, can't do it, babe. You'll land on your feet. Like, you're going to be fine. The slogan that they zoom in on, it says, movies now more than ever. I have a player shirt that I should have worn to this. But oh. It says movies now more than ever. On the Incredible. Speaking of things we're wearing, hat pack hats now on sale. Um, so uh, we end and see that like he's the head of the studio. He's getting pitched on his drive home the movie that we have been watching. Yes. Uh, like he gets called by the death threat guy and it's like, what if there was a studio executive yes. who killed the writer? And he's like, and it's a happy ending. And the guy's like, gets a happy ending. He's like, you got you yourself got a it. go picture. Gets out. Uh, D'Onofrio's pregnant girlfriend, uh, June Goodman's daughter, is um, waiting for him. She's Played pregnant. by an Italian woman, by the way. Canceled. Okay, that, uh, yes. Well, he says, you're not really from Iceland, are you? <laughs> um, he, he, he gets out. And uh, she says, what took you so long? And he says, traffic, traffic was, was a bitch. A bitch. Um, the voice on the phone. Do you know who it is? Who? The writer who did the eulogy at the funeral. Oh. It's the same actor. Wow. It's the same actor. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. That's very clever. So a writer sort of 
gets his revenge in a way. But to the point, I don't know how much, you know, it's like the suffering. I don't know how much there is for for Tim Robbins, but he gets he gets he gets something. The writer gets something out of it. Mm-hmm. Two two quick moments of cleanup. Have One, I murdered anybody? My, my favorite. Yes, but it was an accident. <laughs> my favorite as themselves is probably Dennis Franz. <laughs> yes, that's a good. Just that he's worth being a cameo is like I just love it at this time in his career. I love him. <laughs> um, then. What was your wish I wrote it? Oh, well, I was going to say my favorite cut one that I didn't mention was in that scene where where Griffin meets with Larry Levy at the restaurant. Uh, There's there's like a very Altman, you know, we start with a conversation before we go to that before, but it was cut. And it's baby Martha Plimpton. Wow. And she's just like at lunch with her friends and she's like, I don't know what I should really be doing next. (laughs) And that's that's real, honey. Um, And my wish I wrote it. Oh, I wish I wrote it. Like of the like meta stuff. Just like what's your favorite line or whatever from the movie. I mean, Traffic is a Bitch is so good. It's incredible. Traffic is a Bitch is amazing. It's just so like, yeah, it's just like such a perfect like lowest common denominator. And it's such a Bruce Willis in a movie like this line where he's carrying this woman. Yes, of course. It's just like, it's a fucking wisecrack. It's amazing. I also love Lyle Lovett doing One of Us, One of Us. That's, yes, that's Literally Mr. Freak doing Freaks. (laughs) That's nice. That's nice for me. What? I like him. (laughs) Come on. Um, Now, this is my last question, and then we'll wrap it up. Did you want him to get away with it? It's so crazy. You know, it's like, I feel like that's one of the successes of the movies where you're like, when did I, how how did you get me rooting for this guy? It's such a testament to like perspective and like, and whatever, storytelling that it's like, he has essentially no redeeming qualities. Yeah. He, murders someone yeah. who, like the wrong person not even the person who was threatening him <laughs> the and wrong not person. over the, the threats no. and not someone who did anything wrong other than was honest uh-huh. with him then gets with that guy's girlfriend then yes then gets with his girlfriend is gonna like have a family with her mm-hmm. and gets like the big boss studio yeah. job after being like the most craven individual imaginable and I the whole time I'm like oh no I hope she doesn't identify him yeah. in the lineup yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just like I don't know what's wrong with me but they do because but, they got yeah, me yeah it's so it's like it's just so well made it's so crazy and even at the end where it's like you're hearing like the creepy like kids singing as yeah. he's like about to go into his like beautiful picturesque family and you're like I guess maybe this could go bad, but we've already we got so far already. Yeah, I don't know, but that's Hollywood, baby. That uh, literally is Hollywood, baby. Do you have any? Um, nasty do you have any last nasty people? <laughs> um, uh, any smart thoughts or anything? That oh, you I don't know if I have any us? smart thoughts. I just love this movie so much. I love how much you can feel. Everybody loves movies who like made it, um, and even just the people who would come in just to day play. Um, it seems like it was the most fun time. Like the set must have been incredible. Yeah. And I wish that, you know, I was like and also here the, and going to the movies when it came out. Yeah. Because it must have been electric. The best. Electric. Yeah. To like actually be in LA. Be in LA, be in a theater, be, like seeing the like studio lot and all the people. Like it's so just like. So cool. The, uh, um, the, the, the scene also where it's like the gala, uh, uh, that was a real gala that they did in order to 
So like they they wanted to use that space and Altman was like, we want all these celebrities. It doesn't make sense to close off the street. We'll do a real gala and raise all this money. And like people have to attend. So people were like paying and all the extras were like the uh, it's like the like Academy Museum, like all those people or no oh, wow. LACMA, LACMA. Yeah. But they all like donated money to LACMA for that scene in the movie. And oh, wow. yeah, they were like this money helped us stay open for like a few years. All right, well, go to the museum, everybody. Go to the museum. Thanks, Ayo. Ayo. Bye.